Blog Talk Radio. <clears throat>
welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. This is T-Love, your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am an energy therapist and certified sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where we are streaming to you live as we do every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Our chat room is open, so go ahead and join the discussion that's already happening online there. We do keep an eye on the chat room. So if you have a question, go ahead and post it, and we will do our best to get your question on air. As an alternative, for those of you who are on the go and you can't continue to listen online, you can simply dial directly 347-202-0227. And that way you can listen via phone or please use your Bluetooth if you happen to be driving around. Rosalind Sadaka was here one month ago, and tonight she's agreed to come back to discuss dating. Dating can be very daunting, especially after a long-term relationship ends. It's a totally different world today, and when you're dating after the age of 40 or 50, and yes, even 60, it can be downright scary. How do you go about it? How do you know you're ready? What are the rules? What do you need to know? What do you want What do you want out of a date? What are you looking for in a relationship? Or are you even looking for a relationship? What do you need to do to prepare? There are so very many questions, and tonight we will be attempting to answer many of them. Rosalind is recognized as the voice of child-centered divorce. She is the founder of the Child-Centered Divorce Network and author of the internationally acclaimed book, How Do I Tell the Kids About the Divorce? A Create a Storybook Guide to Preparing Your Children with Love. In addition to being a certified corporate trainer and divorce and parenting coach, Rosalind is also a dating and relationship coach. She is the co-author of 99 Things Women Wish They Knew Before Dating After 40, 50, and Yes, 60, and co-creator of the Dating Rescue 10-Week e-course for women. She is on the board of directors of Online Parenting Programs, Inc., where she co-created the 8-hour and 12-hour anger management courses for divorcing and divorced co-parents. She is a weekly writer for the Huffington Post Divorce Section, an expert advisor at prenatal, I'm sorry, at parentalwisdom.com, a contributing expert for divorce360.com, on the panel of experts for the National Association of Divorce for Women and Children and parentalwisdom.com, as well as a contributing writer for Exceptional People magazine. She's also the national first place winner of the Victorious Woman Award. In addition, Rosalind shares her expertise through personal and group coaching services, teleseminars, her blog and newsletter, as well as TV, radio, and print interviews. And to learn more about her and her books and programs and services and other valuable resources for families before, during, and after divorce or separation, you can visit, and I'm going to give you a couple of websites here. They're all www. First one is childcenteredivorce.com. The next one is howdoitellthekids.com. Then there's women dating after. 40.com and womendatingrescue.com. So let's get started. Good evening, Rosalind. Welcome back, and thank you so much for joining us again. How are you being this evening? I am wonderful and very excited about this conversation. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good one. I think a lot of people have a lot of questions, you know? Um, yeah. And, and, and I would think when one gets to be 40, 50, 60, and beyond and has decided to kind of put themselves back out there, that their life experience alone would play a huge factor in how, how they would date. And the first thing that comes to my mind is the fact that most people at the age of 40 have been in some kind of a long-term relationship, and when that ends, there seemingly would be a lot of 
for lack of a better term, baggage that somebody might be bringing from one relationship into the next. And I would think they would need to kind of process that before they could move forward, you know, because I know people who just kind of something happens, they get divorced, and then they're right out there immediately dating after a long-term relationship. And and their feeling is that they have to get back on the horse. But, (laughs) yeah, I look at it and I think, you know, whether it's through death or divorce or even the end of a long-term relationship that wasn't necessarily a legal marriage, when that relationship ends, there must be a grief period that goes along with it. Wouldn't you need to go through that before you started getting yourselves involved with someone else? Well, it's a very smart um, way to approach things is to understand that, yes, a relationship of any depth that broke up deserves a grieving period. And more than that, you want to be exploring what happened, what went wrong, and what part did I play in it. Even if you were with a total jerk and you could blame that person for every single thing that went wrong, you made that choice or you stayed longer than you should have or there are ways that you could have fought more effectively or been a better communicator about things. If you can find uh, lessons, if you can find insights, things that, oh, I'll never do that again, I've learned my lesson, or, or ways of saying maybe I should have been more proactive, maybe I should have been more assertive, maybe I was being controlled and manipulated too much and I didn't stick up for myself, whatever the issues are, that's the gift in any situation. If you look for the gift, which I call the lessons, then you're coming away with something of value. And while you're grieving the loss of a relationship, which is sad, you're also saying, okay, now I've, I'm growing, I'm evolving, and I'm not going to repeat the same patterns. The biggest problem we have as relationship coaches and therapists and people who work with single people and, and married people in relationships is that they get stuck in repetitive patterns that they just repeat again and again and again. So it's a different person with a different face, but the same issues come up. Anger issues, control issues, manipulation issues, lying and deceit issues, um, addiction issues, infidelity issues, whatever it is. If you're finding that you've gotten more than one of that type in your past, then you have to look and say, why am I attracting that particular challenge into my life? What can I do now so when I get back out again, I don't find that same type of person? And that takes what I call awareness. It takes a level of consciousness to say, okay, I can make a change, but it starts with that awareness of what happened. You can't change what you don't first admit and what you don't first acknowledge. And that's where people have their blinders on. They don't want to look at anything that went on with them. They know how to point at all the mistakes in in their former partner. But if you don't look at yourself and identify some of the things that are are patterns or issues or buttons that get pushed easily for you, then nothing's going to stop you from doing that again and again and again. And it's very sad. And the, the good news is, it's all changeable. It is all undoable if we want to take some time to do some inner exploration. Yeah, and I think, too, that you, you have to take responsibility. It takes two people to make a marriage work, not one. And just because you may be working and the other person isn't, you can't blame them for everything 
because you need to try to, 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 to get it to work, go to couple therapy or something like that to make things work. So you need to take your part of the responsibility in the relationship, you know, how it's going. And a lot of people, you're right, they don't, they don't want to see that. They just say, oh, it's his fault or it's her fault, and, and they try to go on from there. And then they, deal with, they don't deal with their baggage, and they bring it into the next relationship. And it seems to me that they're just setting themselves up for failure. They're just, it's like self-sabotage oh, yeah. when you do this over and over again. I mean, I know someone who says, well, you know, divorce is completely stupid because it's the same crap, just a different person. And I thought, see, oh. no, I disagree. <laughs> well, in many it regards, it is for many people. That's why yeah. statistically second marriages and third marriages do, don't do do as well as first marriages because if if you are going to just find the same person with a different face and repeat the patterns, then, then you haven't learned anything. And divorce was stupid. Um, right. So, so you really do have to um, determine first to look at your baggage and get clear about that. And there's wonderful insights you can really get when you look at the, the hurts and the judgments and the fears and the anxieties and all of the – the interaction dynamics between you and that other personality and there's there's a lot that we can always learn one of the things we can also do is explore the the payoffs for staying in that past relationship perhaps too long why was i there longer than i should have been or if it happened to you and and the relationship ended when you weren't prepared then what what was the reason behind this sudden shock to my system? Why did the relationship end so suddenly? What do I need to learn about myself, and what was I not looking at? Were there red flags that I just didn't want to see? And the more you can um, answer those questions for yourself or get a coach to ask those questions to you and, and help you make sense of it all, then, then you're armed with, with deep insights and awarenesses. And what happens when you are is that next time you find a potential partner who is reminding you of some of those past dynamics, that red flag warning comes up much sooner. You, you get an awareness and you say, wait a minute, I've been here before, or I'm stepping into this again. Or I remember this feeling this way, and yet I, I ignored it and pushed it aside and moved ahead anyway. So many times we, when we ask a woman especially, did you know, you know, did you have any inclination or idea or insight about the fact that this, this, your partner was, was such a, a negative entity in, in, in regard to A, B, C, or D, and It'll take a while, but they'll say, yes, there were red flags. Yes, there were some lights I could have seen. There were some warning signs. I just, I just didn't want to see it. I didn't want to heed it. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to think about it. Or I was too afraid to change and do anything about it, and so I stayed stuck for another few months or another few years. And that's what we're hoping to help people avoid. And that works in, in even a, a relationship with a friend. I mean, if you've had friends who you thought you were in a, in a relationship with someone and it was a friendship and then something happens, there's some type of a betrayal and you, you kind of uh, realize when, you, when something happens that, wait a minute, 
what happened down the line. And if you look at the timeline, you can, this just recently happened to me. You can, re- you can go back and you can say, oh, my God, look at all those red flags that I missed. Why did I not mm-hmm. see this coming? You know, and, and I kick myself and I think, oh, why didn't I see this coming? But because I've learned how to do that, it's e- I think it's easier to do it, but people have a tougher time when it's an intimate relationship, a marriage, because, well, you're really close to that person, and let's face it, you live with them 24-7, and it's hard to take responsibility, and it's hard to realize that you have to look at what your part was, what's my role in all of this, what did I put up with that I shouldn't have, I didn't speak up, I didn't, whatever the, the reasonings are behind it, uh, it seems that that would be a process that initially someone would need to go to a coach or a therapist or a psychiatrist or a psychologist or some behavioral person to, to work it through so that they can move forward without going into another relationship where they're not only going to be hurt themselves, but they're going to ruin somebody else's life maybe too. So true. And, you know, there, there's something about the fact that in relationships, again, women especially, don't always express their needs. They don't share what they need and what they want, but they expect their partner to have some kind of radar and know it. How often do we hear women talking about the fact he knows I like gifts on, on um, Valentine's Day or on my birthday, and he, he, he doesn't do it. He knows this. He should know by now the, the way I feel about this, that, and the other thing. And sometimes we, we make assumptions that are really not fair in a relationship or they're too big an assumption, and we're assuming that men think and process the world the way we do. And that's one of the, was one of the hardest lessons I had in my life from being in a, a young woman in my 20s and 30s to realizing that men really do process the world in very different ways. A lot of it is biological, it's hormonal and chemical, and, and uh, as, as well as society and, and other factors. But they don't think about things the way we do. And if, you, if something matters a lot to you, you need to let your partner know, not in the middle of fighting when, when things are tense and ugly, but when things are, are calm and quiet, and just let them know certain things that matter to you. And then if they're knowing that and obviously just ignoring and not caring, then you have the right to, to bring that up and say, it, it's looking like you don't care enough about me in this relationship to do that. And also find out what it is for them, because men are much more sensitive than we give them credit for a lot. They also want to be heard, validated, and accepted. They have big egos. And sometimes the smallest show of gratitude and appreciation is enough to really calm a guy down and make him very accepting of your own craziness because he's feeling that he was validated. But if, if we're constantly criticizing and picking on things and never giving them that, hey, great job, thanks, thanks, really appreciated that, well, we're not reinforcing the relationship. So there's, there's little things that, that we can do to strengthen relationships, and then there's the clues that we need to be aware of when the relationship just isn't worth our energy, when someone is being abusive, manipulating, controlling, <clears throat> and not worthy of us and knowing when to step away and move on. You know, I think expectations is a big is a big part of it. Uh, you know, I think we can 
blame <laughs> Disney and all the fairy tale people. You know, for a lot of the ways that well, you know, I call it the knight in shining armor syndrome. Um, because people think that oh, this guy is going to fix me, he's going to make me happy, and really, no one can make us happy but ourselves. Only we can make ourselves happy. And I. I think sometimes people watch these things growing up and see stuff and figure, well, he should do this, he should do that, he should do the other thing. Or I love this line, it's our anniversary, he should get me something. I remember a woman saying this to me once, and I said, well, what are you going to get him? And she said, well, it's our anniversary, it's my anniversary, he should get me something. I said, it's your <laughs> anniversary with him. I don't understand. What are you getting him for Valentine's Day? What are you getting him for the holidays? What are you getting him for your anniversary together? You wouldn't be married if he wasn't there. You know, he's part of the picture. It's not like you're a princess exactly. now. And, but people do go down that road, and they think, wow. And, I mean, I know people who have their, their picture of a bride, it's them, above their fireplace, and the husband can't be seen anywhere. And I'm thinking, really? Because who'd you marry? <laughs> I find it funny, but I think that's part of the problem, the expectations of it. He's going to do for me because he should because I'm a girl. Where does that come from? Yeah, I well, you you said where it comes from. It does. It comes yeah. from our our upbringing and and growing up in the Disneyland world and and fairy tales and and thinking that life is about princes and princesses, and it it I call it erroneous expectations, and it really is um, a big danger sign for women the fairy tale thinking because it means we're not taking responsibility for our role in making the relationship work. And as you said, it's not your partner's job to make you happy or to fix you or to fill the hole in your heart and soul. And um, and your partner doesn't complete you, despite what movie lines will say. No one can complete you and fix you and, and, and fill you up. You need to do that yourself. So if if we get into a relationship with someone who has that job, it's a huge job that they can are going to fail at. It, whether it takes two months or two years, they're going to fail at the job of trying to make you happy, make you whole, make you feel worthwhile. If you're feeling insecure and if you're feeling you're not good enough, having that, that man in your life is not going to fix it after a, a, a while. And then we're going to blame him for not turning out to be the prince we thought he was. And it really is unfair. So women do that, men do that too. They put women up on a pedestal early on in a relationship and they think of her as, as superhuman and then when they see her as a real person or when she has a child and she's suddenly the mother of their children and she's no longer a sexual fantasy, they lose interest and they want to move on to someone else that they can idealize. And so um, it, it creates... Um, problems in in the marriage we are very unrealistic in our expectations about relationships and the biggest lesson we can learn are lessons in communication the better we can talk to one another the more easily we can smooth out the rough edges that are inevitable in any relationship no two people are going to get along 24 hours a day without ever having differences of opinions and conflicts and it's the way we approach those conflicts and talk to each other and things like that that really make the difference between couples that can weather different storms and couples that are are in constant drama when i was younger <clears throat> my life was filled with drama and one of the great things about being in midlife and 
happily remarried after my divorce is that there's so much less drama, the ups and downs and the highs and lows. I don't crave them anymore. I don't look for them. What I want is peace and happiness and love and contentment and joy in my life. I don't want the the drama. And, you know, we watch so many TV shows and movies that are filled with drama. A lot of people think that's the way life is supposed to be. But we're Mm -hmm. not supposed to be living in a soap opera. There are writers who create those scripts. And if you're living in a soap opera, then there are skills that both of you can learn to bring it down several notches so that you could have more peace and harmony in your life. And especially if there are children in in your life, you certainly don't want to be role modeling that for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny because soap operas, I, I look at them and think, they're wonderful to watch because then you get to say, okay, good, my life's better than that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I do the comparison thing. And I have to say, I never watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, but last night I'm flipping through the channels and I can't find anything, so I have it on as I'm working. And I look up and it's down to, and I don't even know the whole thing about this, it's down to three women and one of them decides she doesn't want the guy anymore because after she slept with him, she was saying, He's totally different. He's not what I want. You could see the red flags in her head. She was getting out right then and there, whereas somebody else might think, well, this is okay. At least I'm going to get married because it seems to me sometimes those people on those shows are so desperate to just marry someone, you know, and that's not the goal. You really, to me, I would think a great foundation for a relationship is friendship. That seems to me to be really, really important. If you just go into it because of the chemistry between the two of you, I really don't think it would last because there's no foundation, and I think you need to to love everyone, but you don't need to like any everyone. If you like <laughs> someone, though, and that evolves, and you end up in love, then I think you have a better shot at a long-lasting relationship. Do you agree with that? Oh, I totally agree with you. Friendship first is the most important thing, and that foundation, yes, because it's inevitable, no matter how hot and sexy and and the early romance um, period of a relationship, it inevitably simmers down. It has to. You just can't be at that Mm -hmm. same level years and years and years. And so what you find after that, when you're used to each other and you're, you're together day after day, is that the connection, the respect, the friendship, the commonalities that you share, are, are the, that's the bond that keeps you together. And it, it's not a matter of just having um, the chemistry, as you say. It's very important to really find a partner that you share values with. And that's why when we, you know, we talk about dating, that you want to be looking for certain things in a partner that are important and more important than height and color of hair and those kinds of things. You want to be looking for the value systems if you share that and, and philosophical systems and long-term goals. You could find someone who's really great, and when you're talking about moving on and after retirement, one person wants to be traveling the world and seeing exciting venues and the other person wants to be visiting the grandchildren and just doing nothing else than going from um, grandchild to grandchild home, well, that's going to create conflict in the relationship because they're totally different styles of what you want to do down the line. So there's a lot of things to be talking about, and you want to, that's when you do in your courting period is, is you find someone and then you discuss 
your your life values and goals and aspirations and the way you feel about things and and find a kindred spirit who shares the most important with you not a clone because there are no clones for you but someone who you respect the most important values that they have and don't settle it's it's um very dangerous to be set, settling if you're coming from a place of neediness if you're coming from a place of desperation as you said earlier um, mm-hmm. when, when you're just um, feeling that, well, this person is interested in me, who knows if I'll ever find anyone else, and then you sell yourself out because you're walking into a potential landmine that's very sad or can be very volatile. So you have to be able to read the other person and, and keep your values straight in mind when, when you're dating and you'll be much more likely to attract someone when, when you know what you're looking for and have a strong idea of who the, what, what it is in a partner that you're looking for. And, and most people suggest writing lists, not, again, not the lists of, of the hair color and, and um, the, the job that they have and things like that, because you need to be flexible about the physical form of of the person that you're bringing into your life, but the qualities about um, their spiritual values, um, whether you want to be with someone who smokes or not, or has certain um, dietary or exercise or um, habits and values and things like that 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 you can share, and um, political philosophies, philosophies of of life, work ethic, shared integrity about important things, and then family issues, so that you you have something really solid that you're building that relationship on. And the most important quality that studies have found in a relationship is mutual respect. If Mm -hmm. one partner loses respect, the relationship is is over, because you can't force the other person to respect you again, and they, they... feel differently about you, and it's very hard to heal a relationship when there's no respect on one or both sides. If there is, then both parties can work and make anything happen. Any level of disagreement can be fixed if both parties really care enough about each other. But if you lose the respect, if you lose the trust, that that's a very deep connection that that breaks a relationship apart. You know, I'm really glad you said that some of the things in Common Ground, the one thing that you mentioned that strikes a chord with me is um, your spiritual values. This is not to say religion because we all know that healthy relationships, they progress very slowly. That's just a standard concept. And I say that, but then I notice people over the age of 40, 50, 60, you're not in the same place you were in when you were looking for a mate to raise a family and build a life with. At that time, you might have been looking for someone who had the exact same religion, uh, level of education, whatever it was. But when you're older and you've experienced life, those values change and your beliefs might be different. So you may be more open through, you know, to, to other people, different, it doesn't have to be, well, I have to marry a Catholic, I have to marry a Jew, I have to marry a Protestant, I have to marry whatever it is. You don't have to do that. You just have to be able to respect the other's way of life and make it work together. I mean, I've seen a lot of people who, 
you know, one might call it a whirlwind romance. They get married, settle down, and it works out just fine. And that seems to make sense because they know what they want. They know how they want to live. They're more realistic about what they want. They don't have to worry about what are my parents going to think if I don't marry the right person. Um, they're letting their relationship foster even after marriage, even if they've only been dating for, say, like six months. So given that, and I've seen it, uh, you know, a lot, and I don't know whether you have or not, do you think that age, along with knowing yourself, and more importantly being our, your authentic self with other people, I guess, I don't know how to word this properly. <laughs> do you think that allows us to make a quicker decision that is rational well, and will sustain the test of time? I, I think in many cases it, it can, and I, I know what you're saying, and I've seen that too. I think the key to what you're saying is knowing yourself. When, when you are in midlife and you really do know yourself, you're much, you can much quicker pick out someone who is on the same wavelength and also disqualify people much more quickly and say, well, I don't, you know, that, that's not the person for me. But for reasons that may be different than when you were in your 20s and, and 30s. And um, that, that's a good thing, knowing yourself and then <clears throat> being able to honor and respect the differences in other people, but knowing which ones are really important and which ones aren't. Because you could have differences in, uh, you know, going out with friends um, and both of you have different sets of friends and have different hobbies or interests and the relationship can still be fine because there's enough of a connection between you as a couple that that keeps the relationship alive and yet you could be interested in, in A and he could be interested in B in other regards and, and you're not as also insecure about the fact that they're going off with their friends to enjoy that other thing because that isn't something that interests you. As long as you have the strength of the bond of the, the mutual values that are the, the life factor values that we're talking about because that's, that's the important thing that's going to hold two people together, and that's where the respect comes from. So I think, yes, in many ways you, you can make um, decisions more quickly as long as it's not coming from neediness and desperation and insecurity and, oh, my God, I'm never going to find anyone, that kind of thing. And I wanted to speak to that because I, I firmly believe that our attitude plays a huge part in our relationship success. Whatever we believe becomes our reality. It, mm -hmm. it just manifests that way. So I, I've met and counseled many people who are in their 50s and 60s who say, there are no good guys out there anymore. There's no one around. This, this area just doesn't have any good men. This, you know, the, the, the guys our age are all like this. They're all after 30-year-olds. And, they, you know, they make these blanket statements. And the, what happens is that's their reality, and that becomes their truth, and their experience is that because that's what they believe. And so they set themselves up to have those experiences. If you have to really work to break that down because it's easy to believe it. And remember, all you need is one. So even if there are a, a lot of jerks out there, all you need is one aware, conscious, sharp person who comes into your reality and it's attracted to you, and, and you, that's all you're needing. So it's not like you're looking for dozens and dozens of partners. And if you believe I'm a great catch and there's someone wonderful out there for me, 
and I'm I just know that I'm going to be finding that person very soon. And so you get out and go to different places and and move into new environments where you can hang out and and try different things and just be open and receptive to not staying in the old patterns of just doing the same thing, you're much more likely to bump into just the right partner for you because you're expecting it and you're you're psyched up for it and you believe it's going to happen. So there's there's a big factor in your expectations and your perceptions about things and and I really invite everyone who's listening to look at you know what their expectations are and what do they say about dating and finding partners because whatever you tell yourself becomes your reality so change that story and and that'll make a big difference you have to believe you're a great catch and there's someone really great out there worthy of you that's going to be attracted into your life and it's an attracting it's it's not like you're desperately finding someone, you're attracting someone because your energy will attract someone who has a similar energy to you and is and that party is, is just a great partner fit for you. Yeah, and I think too, um it you know, it's Thomas Jefferson, right? Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So right. that's the belief exactly. thing right there. And self-confidence is paramount. If you know that you're worthy, if you know you have value and you deserve respect, you will attract that type of person in return. It happens when you go to find a job. You'll attract just what it is you're looking for, you know, and friendships and everything like that. I think if people work on themselves, know who they are, live their life authentically, be in their own power, give themselves uh, self-care, all of those things allow you to have the confidence you need to get into a relationship and and get into a relationship that's nurturing and compassionate, caring, kind, loving, exactly what you're looking for. And sometimes I think people jump into the relationship part before they do that homework, you know. And one of the signs I've seen when people say, oh, yeah, I went on a date, and they'll start to tell you know, this is what happened. He didn't stop talking about his wife or she didn't stop talking about her husband. Well, the person they were on the date with wasn't ready to date yet. Yeah. <laughs> Because uh, yes, if they're just if they're still yeah out there <laughs> yeah yes. if they're still talking about the wife or whatever and the other thing is when people are uh, you know dating someone and there's still like pictures of the wife in the house and maybe the wife passed away five years ago sometimes this to me is a tough call because there could be a multitude of factors are there kids how old are the kids if they're young maybe dad doesn't want the kids to think he's just throwing mom out the window and are the kids grown up and dad's just become oblivious to his surroundings and he doesn't even notice the picture anymore Mm -hmm. I mean there's so many factors and you know at some point you have to feel comfortable enough in the relationship to ask the question why are these pictures still here but I that's that's in the relationship that's when you're in it solid right you make a very good point in the fact that Ultimately, it's all about asking questions and getting to know each other and and communicating on an authentic level. People will move into sexual intimacy way faster than they should, and they'll, they'll find out these important things about one another too late or, or not at all because they're afraid to ask or they don't even think of asking. So you're right. It, after a point, if you don't feel comfortable enough to ask about the pictures and ask about the other relationship and find out 
about um, how your partner feels about his his former wife, and especially if there was a divorce, how he feels about his parents, his children, his relationships with other people. You learn a lot when you talk about that. And you want to be asking those questions, not on the first and second date, but once you start moving into being a relationship partner together, then you want to find that out because that's when you get the red flags or not. That's when you get the feeling, wow, this is a good person. And you want to, if you find someone who's just bitching about their former spouse or relationship partners, there's something to question about that. It sounds like someone who hasn't done a lot of healing and is just blaming their partner for everything. How is it mm-hmm. going to feel when I'm in a relationship with them? So you want to look at all of these things. Talking, communicating, sharing, and feeling comfortable is so important. And if you can't talk about sex, then maybe you shouldn't be engaging in that yet. Because I, I remind middle-aged people that, the, believe it or not, the highest rate of STD um, use is um, in people over 50. Um, they're mm-hmm. finding more sexually transmitted diseases in that age group than um, any other age group, and it's rising dramatically. So people are, are having sex, but they're, they're not thinking first. And when I was single, I asked every partner to get an AIDS test before we were intimate, which means you had to talk about that, which means you had to go to a clinic or a doctor and get a report and, and do that because I wanted to have the confidence of knowing that if I was going to be with this partner, I wasn't starting out with any kind of serious um, sexual diseases. And if you can't talk about it or if they're not agreeing to that, well, maybe that's not the person you want to be moving ahead with. But so many people are are moving into intimacy so fast that, that they really aren't talking about anything and then, of course, they're finding out afterwards all kinds of things that make them very uncomfortable. And herpes and things like that are, you know, grow at an alarming rate. So we have to be careful. We have to be responsible to ourselves. You know, and it's not always you, romantic. Right. Well, it can't be because you have to get to that point where in, in order to have the romance, you have to be able to do that so that you can have the romance you need that goes along with the intimate relationship if it's going to go down that road. But here's an interesting question. This comes up frequently. I hear people saying, you know, it's the three-date rule. So finally I said to them, what, what's a three-date rule? <laughs> I mean, I felt like an idiot. And they said, well, you know, on the third date you have sex. And I'm like, no, really? I mean, was that a rule? I mean, I don't understand because I don't. And they'll be like, well, if they bought you dinner a couple of times, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I just don't agree with that. There has to be more to it than they bought you dinner a couple of times and you owe them. You owe no one anything. You have to respect yourself. If, if you're going out with somebody and they really expect that on a third date, if it were me, I'd be like, see ya. Yeah. Uh, you know, un- but, unfortunately, you know, it is, it is um, prevalent. There's a pressure in especially younger people in their 30s and, and 40s. There's an expectation and it becomes an unwritten rule. And, again, that's why you have to find a partner that you could talk to about those things. And, and maybe early on say, I'm looking for a life partner. I'm looking for someone that I could be spending my future with, and I don't move into making decisions like that quickly. And so I'm not into having fast sex. And if that's something that you're expecting, 
then maybe right at the beginning you just let them know. I, in my own case, I, I dated my husband for three months before we had sex because I was dating a couple of other guys very casually, and I just was testing the waters, and, and eventually I realized that I dropped the one guy and then I dropped the other, and I realized that this third man was the one that I really cared about, and then I was very, by that time, interested in in having an intimate relationship with him, but I took it very slow. And mm. he respected me enough to be there with me and, and take it slow. And then the sex was fabulous when, when we did have it because we had a real connection and, and a bond and the anticipation was there. Now, I'm not saying everyone needs to wait three months, but I, I would definitely take it slow and talk about it. Explain yeah. why that you're not moving into sex too soon. I'm noticing that in TV and movies, uh, women are just throwing themselves on men and the, the first time they meet them. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know what influence that could possibly have on our our teens and, you know, 20-year-olds to think that's what's expected because I don't think I've seen a TV show or a movie lately that didn't have that scenario but it it isn't helping women respect themselves and identify the important things about relationship partners. And, you know, it, it, it comes down to do you respect yourself enough to say no and not be pushed into a situation? And if somebody is not respecting you enough and trying to push you into something, to me, that would be a real turnoff. And I'd be like, okay, they're not, I don't deserve them. I deserve better. And I would think I would walk away where yeah. some just don't there's that desperation factor and that's very sad because if you're if you feel like well okay i have to be aware of that and just walk away and say you know what i can do better than this this is about me because nobody is going to take care of you except you nobody 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 that's right (laughs) and also a a quality man will at least understand and talk to you about it you know he may he may try to push for a different perspective and the conversation is worth having, but at least you're respectfully talking about it and you're finding out what's going on in his mind and what does he think about you. Because usually a guy will will value you more if if he understands that you value yourself more and is willing to yeah. wait because he really cares about you. I know it sounds old-fashioned, but there are certain things that just are true regardless of, of the age. And it's really not old-fashioned because what it comes down to is, all right, and this is going to get into a whole different arena, if someone is like that in there being pushy, forceful, or whatever, now we're talking about somebody who wants to have control, and that can lead to an abusive relationship. And abusive relationships don't mean you're just getting hit. They don't mean that, you know, somebody's beating you. It means abuse of emotional, mental, verbal, passive-aggressive behavior, intimidation. There are so many things that can follow that. So if somebody's being that forceful, on the third time they see you and you've only seen them for three or four hours, two other times each, this is not a person that is going to respect you, and it could be someone who's going to be abusive. I would think it would raise a red flag, especially if someone was coming out of an abusive relationship. That's right. I, I agree. Um, you'll, you'll find um, the, the people who, who do overstep their boundaries and are abusive usually are abusive in many, many arenas. And one, they, very, they are very controlling and manipulating, and they don't like you 
seeing your friends or other people and, and family members, and, and they sort of want to own you, and they, they are more interruptive and um, sort of take over. The world becomes all about them, and you become a secondary factor. Mm-hmm. And th- very often that will lead to uh, physical abuse and definitely to emotional abuse of being being treated in a disrespectful way, being put down and not recognized for the, being an equal in the relationship. So you're, you're very right. Those are the red flags that sometimes women who have those patterns will just find themselves in again and again and again. And it's not an accident because we have mm-hmm. to understand that we are responsible for every choice we make, for our choices, our decisions. And the good news is that if that's the case, we can undo any decisions we've made, any patterns we've fallen into, any mistakes we've made in the past. We can start and clean the slate fresh, new, today, and do things differently and get a support system if we need behind us to teach us some new strategies and new skills. But it's all possible to start anew, and we don't have to accept whatever negative experiences that we had in the past, but it starts with awareness. We have to be aware first and realize that it, the, the changes have to come from within us. And I agree, and I think that well, the last time you were here, and not to belabor this point, we talked about forgiveness, and I think that that plays mm. a huge role too because once you give yourself permission to release those negative emotions that are associated with the other person and you choose not to let their actions hurt you anymore – then and only then will you be able to move forward. And so we know that that healing choice is yours to make, and I would think that choice would need to be made before a new flourishing relationship could begin. It just makes sense. You won't be in one if you haven't gotten rid of the, if you haven't processed through and gotten to the forgiveness stage yet. you agree with that? Oh, totally. Forgiveness is, is so pivotal, and we have to remember we forgive for us, not on behalf of the other person. The forgiveness right. is is to make us unstuck so we can move on in peace and that we can create a new and better future for ourselves. And it's part of self-care. Yes, it's it's part of self-care, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, in your, we're getting to at the top of the hour, but in your book, you quote Eleanor Roosevelt in your book, and I think it really speaks loudly as to what we're talking about. The quote is, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. I love that. And yes, I know. Every, every, every little girl should hear that and, and mm-hmm. learn that and take that with them into adulthood. Sure. It doesn't mean that you should feel superior to anyone, but it sure does speak loudly as to how a relationship is going and what your role is in it and how you feel about yourself, you know. So it makes you, you – know, she, she was smart. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I totally agree. <laughs> That was, that was a great quote. We are almost at the top of the hour, Rosalind, but before we say goodbye, would you please tell everyone how they can learn more about you? Absolutely. Well, I, I have a, a free ebook for everyone who's um, listening on the call, and it's the Smart Dating Advice for Women Over 40, Answers to Your Most Asked Questions. It's an ebook, and if you go to womendatingafter.com, womendatingafter40.com, that's 40, you can get it, just put your email address in and it will instantly be sent to you and there's a lot of great information 
um, along the lines of what we were talking about and much more in depth, great questions and great answers. And then I also suggest that you visit womendatingrescue.com because I have a fabulous 10-week e-course that um, every week you get another chapter in the e-course, and it gives you tremendous insights about who you are and who you're looking for in a relationship, new awarenesses so that you can um, change some of the patterns that you've been running and make smarter decisions as you move ahead in, in dating. So it talks about releasing old baggage, when you need to see a, a therapist or a coach, and um, answers to so many questions you have and helping you do the inner work and finding a partner that's going to be worthy of you. And there's exercises as well and some bonus gifts. And so it's a wonderful program, and I, I really suggest you check it out at, at Women Dating after for their, um, I'm sorry, womendatingrescue.com, and see if it speaks to you. If it does, then that's the program to, to get, and it will make a big difference in your lives. And I also do relationship coaching, so if you um, write me at Rosalind, R-O-S-A-L-I-N-D, writes, W-R-I-T-E-S, at gmail.com, I'll be happy to tell you about um, that. And we're also starting a new um dating and relationship, inner circle relationship coaching group that's a eight-week program, including a free personal coaching session. Again, if you just send me an email at rosalindwrites at gmail.com, I'll send you information about that, R-O-S-A-L-I-N-D-W-R-I-T-E-S at gmail.com. Okay, I'm getting it all into the chat room so everybody has all this information. It's all in there now. That's oh, great. There is a plet- yeah, there's a plethora of information that you have on, on your site. So if anybody is out there dating or considering dating or, you know, uh, think it's coming down the line for you, look at it and prepare yourself so that you can go about it and do it with the respect that you deserve, the respect that you should have for yourself. You know, listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a very challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I have to keep you apprised so you don't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we're meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So send the link to this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you have had this evening to learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. Again, Rosalind, thank you so very much for joining me tonight. I appreciate your time. It was fabulous. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. You, you do a great job, and I'm a big um, supporter of yours. Oh, thank you, Rosalind. I appreciate that. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in this evening. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next Wednesday at 6 p.m. for another great show. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. I got a roof over my head.
Stop the light. 